Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station. On today's edition of Pathway to Victory, how do you handle discouragement? Well, if somebody says, well, we just need to pray about it. If your tire goes flat, you can pray all you want to, but eventually the tower has to be inflated. Same way with discouragement. Yes, we ought to pray, but discouraged people need to be encouraged. And I want to show you how Nehemiah illustrates how to be encouraged when you're facing discouragement. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffers. We all feel sad and dejected from time to time, but for a lot of folks, discouragement becomes less of a passing feeling and more of a permanent state of mind. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress points to a great leader named Nehemiah, who shows us how to escape the emotional depths of despair. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to a brand new week of Bible teaching on Pathway to Victory. Our focus for the entire month of May is called Invincible. This is a practical teaching series that identifies some of the most common roadblocks in life. In each case, God has provided a way for us to circumvent or even conquer every barrier. Today, for example, I'm going to address the obstacle of discouragement. How do we defeat this common barrier that separates us from God's blessings? Well, I've written a book that addresses 10 such mountains that stand in our way. And a little later on, we'll explain how you can receive a copy of my book, Invincible. It's my gift to you when you send a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Plus, as a bonus to receiving my book, we've also put together a stack of encouragement cards. You won't find these cards anywhere other than right here at Pathway to Victory. Each one identifies a mountain and a biblical route for getting around it. I'm no different from you. From time to time, all of us come face to face with mountains that threaten to stop us in our tracks. Uh, Issues like grief, fear, and bitterness— Well, when we put our faith in God and rely on His power, He will enable us to move the mountains in our lives. So please reach out and request your copy of my book, Invincible, and a set of the exclusive encouragement cards as well. Now, I'll give more details later, but right now, let's turn in our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. I titled today's message, Moving from Discouragement to Hope. What are we talking about when we talk about discouragement? I looked it up in Webster's this week. To discourage literally means to deprive of courage or confidence, to be disheartened. I wrote down some other D words that describe discouragement. Demoralized, dismayed, distraught, depressed, defeated, despairing. All of those words describe the year we've just had, don't they? But there's a cure for discouragement. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. The story of Nehemiah illustrates both the causes and the cures for discouragement. Now, you remember there were two history-shaping events in Israel's history that formed her character more than any other. One was the 400 years in slavery in Egypt. The other milestone event was the exile for 70 years in Babylon. They longed for their return, and finally, after the end of 70 years, they returned to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the wall. 
And Nehemiah was tasked with the rebuilding of the wall. It was a mammoth construction project that he completed in 52 days, but not without opposition. He faced discouragement from the people. He faced opposition from those already living in the land. And when we come to Nehemiah chapter four, and I hope you've turned there, we're halfway through that 52 day construction project. And Nehemiah records this. The people were discouraged. I want you to notice the four reasons they were discouraged, the four D's that add up to discouragement. First of all, the people were drained. Look at verse 10. Halfway through the project, it says, and the strength of the burden bearers is failing. Secondly, the people were not only drained, they were disgruntled. Look again at verse 10. Yet there is much rubbish. Whenever you're involved in something big and uh, worthwhile, there's going to be a lot of garbage, literal and figurative around. There's going to be a lot of stuff around you that can cause discouragement. Third, notice the progression here. They were drained. They were disgruntled. They became dejected. Look at verse 10 again. And we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. They said, we're in over our heads. We just can't do it. We might as well hang it up. And that led to the final D. They were distressed. The people were distressed. They were so discouraged that they came to the point they said, we can't handle one more problem. We've had it. If we get one more piece of bad news, we're going to collapse. Have you ever felt that way in your life? Where you get to the point, you say, I can't take one more bad thing happening. Doesn't matter how big or small it is, I can't take one more thing. And usually that one more thing ends up happening. The enemy knows he's got you when you say, I can't handle one more thing. That's what happened to the Israelites when they were at the end of themselves. Look at verse 11. Our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. Now, that's what the enemies were saying. But how did those building the wall know about it? Look at, uh, this is so key, verse 12. Then the Jews, our own people, who lived near the enemies, came and told us 10 times, they will come up against us from every place where you turn. Do you know people who love to deliver bad news? They love to come into your life and they'll say something they heard and they'll say to you, they will amplify it 10 times. You know, I just think you need to know everybody is saying, everybody is saying. Now they may have heard it one time. It's probably from their mate. But oh, that suddenly becomes everybody is saying blah, 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 blah. When somebody says that to you, ask them, well, exactly who is saying that? Could you tell me? Oh, no, 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 it's confidential. It's confidential. Okay, if you can't tell me their name, just tell me how many. You said everybody's saying. Are you talking about you've heard that from 100 people? Oh, well, no, not 100 people. Would you say 50 people have said that to you? Oh, no, 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 not 50. Usually it's them <laughs> and maybe their mate or best friend. This is what the Israelites were doing. They were listening to people who bore bad news. By the way, Proverbs 16, 8 says, the words of a tailbearer are as 
wounds and they go down into the innermost part of the belly. This led to the people becoming discouraged. They were discouraged. They were drained. They were disgruntled, dejected, distressed. That led to discouragement. Now, how do you handle discouragement? Well, if somebody says, well, we just need to pray about it. Look, if your tire goes flat, you can pray all you want to, but eventually the tower has to be inflated. Same way with discouragement. Yes, we ought to pray, but discouraged people need to be encouraged. And I want to show you how Nehemiah illustrates how to be encouraged when you're facing discouragement. The path that leads from discouragement to hope. I want you to look at the five decisive actions that Nehemiah took when the people became discouraged. First of all, find encouragement in your family. Find encouragement in your family. Look at verse 13. I stationed men in the lowest part of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. He put the people together as families to work on the wall. Your family ought to be a place where, regardless of what's happening on the outside, you can find encouragement. It ought to be your safe place. Now, I realize for many of you, that's not the case. You may come from a dysfunctional family. You may have had an absentee father. You don't find the encouragement you need in your family. Then you need a family of friends. Or you need your church family. But there ought to be some place where you find encouragement. A group of people who love you unconditionally. Secondly, remember God is on your side. Whenever you feel discouraged, remember God is on your side. Nehemiah reminded the people of that in verse 14. He said, when I saw their fear, I rose and I spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. And I said, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Underline that. God is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. We need to be reminded of the greatness, the awesomeness of God. Because when we're reminded of the greatness of God, to listen to this, our problems don't evaporate. But remembering the greatness of God puts our problems in proper perspective. It reminds us how small our problems really are compared to the greatness of God. Remember Numbers 13, the spies, the 12 spies who went into Canaan to check things out, and they came back with a report, and 10 of them said, we cannot overtake the land. There are giants in the land, and there were giants in the land, but then they said, there are giants in the land, and we became as grasshoppers in our own eyes. Yeah, they had giants. That was accurate, but was, what was inaccurate is they weren't grasshoppers. But without God, we're susceptible to being overwhelmed and discouraged with our problems. They forgot God, and they became less than they really were. The same thing is true for you. You need to remind yourself of the greatness of God. You say, well, how do I do that? One way to do that is through the scripture. I want to give you a couple of scripture verses to memorize, to remember the greatness of God and the fact that God is on your side. Romans 8, 31 to 32. Paul said, what shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, will he not also freely give us everything else? Or Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed are the people who take refuge in him. Or Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you're even mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? Remind yourself through scripture of the greatness of God. When you remember the greatness of God, it puts your problems into perspective. See, do the work God has given you. Now, this suggestion alone is worth the price of the sermon. Do the work that is God has given you. Don't wait until the cloud of discouragement lifts before you start doing what God has called you to do. Where do I find that? Look at verses 15 and 16. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, underline this, each one to do his work. And then again in verse 16, from that day on, half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held the spears. Now, you know what most of us do? We wait until we feel right to do right. And we've got it reversed. Jerome Bruner a psychologist at Harvard uh, University said, it is much easier to act yourself into a feeling than to feel yourself into an action. That's gold right there. It's a lot easier to act yourself into a feeling than feel yourself into an action. In other words, if you wait until you feel right to do right, you'll never do right. But if you'll do right, you start to feel right. By the way, Jerome Bruner didn't make that up. That came from the scriptures itself. Remember in Genesis chapter four, verse six, God was talking to Cain. Cain was all depressed and discouraged after he tried to bring that no account offering to God and God rejected it and accepted the offering of his brother. Remember what God said to Cain in Genesis four, six, why are you angry, Cain? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do right, Will not your countenance be lifted up? In other words, Cain, if you will do right, you'll start to feel right. Do the work that God has already called you to do. Number four, enlist other people to help you. Enlist the help of others. I came across a term this, a term this week that I was unfamiliar with. It's the term sologamy. Do you know about sologamy? You know what it is? It's the new trend of people choosing to marry themselves. Solo, sologamy, marrying yourself. Now, you think I'm making this up? Go read the New York Times this week. There's a big article on the trend of people marrying themselves. They actually send out invitations to a wedding ceremony. People give gifts. They have a reception for a person to marry himself. Now, we're not going to explore that completely, but obviously it is a ridiculous idea. You need somebody else to marry. You can't marry yourself. And you also need other people to help you through life. That's a principle you find in scripture. Look at verses 19 and 20 of Nehemiah chapter four. By the way, did you hear somebody's phone going off just a moment ago? that amber alert that comes. 
you know, your television, the tornado warning that comes and so forth. Back in Nehemiah's day, they didn't have the alerts like we've got. If an enemy came, Nehemiah had to devise a way to warn everybody of it. And that's exactly what he does in verses 19 and 20. And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall from one another. Even though people were in families, they were still separated. At whatever place you hear the sounds of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. In other words, if we're under attack, we'll get a bugler to blow the bugle instead of sounding the amber alert, and you go to the place wherever you hear the bugler. We'll all come together instead of being alone when the enemy attacked. He established a place for the people to gather together where the bugler is, but also a principle that we all need to remember today. Never try to fight your battles alone. Or even in a family, you need a bigger group to be a part of. You need a church family. You need a group of believers who will surround you. Isolated people are defeated people. Solomon said it this way. I like the New Living Translation, Ecclesiastes 4.12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three or even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You know, one of the most dangerous things about this pandemic has been unlike other crises in American life. The Civil War, World War II, terrorist attacks. Unlike those crises, we had to go through this alone. We were separated from one another and from our places of worship. And that's why I would just encourage those of you who are watching online right now, get back to church as soon as you possibly can. The enemy loves to isolate us and ultimately attack and defeat us. We need one another. Isolated people are defeated people. And finally, how do you move from discouragement to hope? Serve another person in need. Encourage another person who needs encouragement. Where do I get that? Look at verses 21 and 22. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day. I read and read this, the commentaries this week about this passage, trying to figure out what was going on. Here's my best shot at it. Nehemiah said, we need to speed up the construction project, so we're going to work double shifts and get this thing done before the enemy attacks. So to do that, we need people, after they finish their shift, we need them to go ahead and stay here. Stay in the city, guard the other people who are, who are working so we can speed up the project. Even though the people were drained and tired after a busy day of working, Nehemiah said, protect somebody else. And the principle here is sometimes the best thing you can do when you're discouraged is to encourage somebody else. Now, you probably feel like you're in no position to do that. I've heard people say, oh, I'm just so drained emotionally. I don't have anything to offer anybody. That's not true if you're a Christian. You do have something to offer somebody else. I heard somebody say this week, and I wrote this down, a candle doesn't lose anything when it lights another candle. That's a profound thought. There is nothing of a candle that's diminished when it lights another candle. 
And the same thing is true when we encourage another Christian. It doesn't cost us anything. I think about my friend Jimmy Draper, who was the associate pastor here years ago. I remember when he was preaching one time, I, I, I heard him as a teenager and he said something I'll never forget. He said, be nice to everybody because everybody's having a hard time. I'd change that a little bit to say, encourage anyone you meet because everybody needs encouragement. And you've got the ability to encourage other people. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, my daughter, uh, Julia, has written a very honest book called Pray Big Things. And she details the discouragement she and Ryan felt after going through a season of infertility and three miscarriages. And in the book, she describes an episode in which she, about four years ago, had lunch with her younger sister, Dorothy. And Dorothy said something that lifted Julia's spirits. Julia writes, at that lunch, Dorothy looked at me and said, Julia, I think something really big is about to happen. Now, this was a year before the triplets were born, before my dad became a presidential advisor, before Ryan and I were cast in a reality TV show that gave us the ability to talk about Christ on a national platform. How did Dorothy know something big was about to happen? Dorothy is not some kind of modern day prophetess, but she understands the spiritual progression of events. Temptation, struggles, trials, and persecution usually come before blessing. If we figure out that sequence, we will not be swayed in our beliefs. While the trials will be hard, our victory is certain. There's some of you right now who feel like the mountain of discouragement is overshadowing everything else in your life. Remember, struggles, trials, difficulties, many times are just the prelude to a new season of blessing that's about to come into your life. Remind yourself, encourage yourself with that truth, and then find somebody else to encourage with that truth. Why? Because the path that leads from discouragement to hope is best traveled together rather than alone. No, you are not alone. In fact, as one of our valued listeners to Pathway to Victory, you are never alone. And at this critical moment of decision, let me urge you to take a next step down your Pathway to Victory. I want you to reach out to us today and request your collection of encouragement cards that I've prepared for you. Each one identifies a mountain in your life, like the one we address today. And each encouragement card cites a scripture verse that will help you conquer that specific mountain. Display these cards in a prominent spot in your home, like your kitchen counter or at your desk. These encouragement cards are my gift to you when you request them at ptv.org. In addition, I've written a full-length book called Invincible, and it coincides with this teaching series in which we tackle 10 common barriers that separate us from the blessed life. Common obstacles like bitterness, loneliness, and grief. My book has been selected for small group Bible studies and Sunday school classes as a catalyst for high engagement and lively conversation. 
And the hardbound copy of Invincible is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Let me assure you that your gift to Pathway to Victory is handled with utmost care. We have a very lean operation in Dallas that handles everything for you so that most of your financial support is channeled directly into helping millions around the world learn how to become invincible. As a result of your generous giving, we are one of the fastest-growing Christian media ministries in America. And here's David to explain how to get in touch with us today. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. You're invited to request the best-selling book, Invincible, along with the 10 Invincible Encouragement Cards when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Plus, we're also going to send you a CD and DVD message that Dr. Jeffress recently delivered at a gathering of Christian broadcasters. Christians need to start preparing right now for the day when persecution comes to America. To request these resources, call 866-999-2965 or visit our website that's at ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, you'll receive not only the book and message, but you'll also get the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Invincible Teaching Series, along with a personal and group study guide. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or find us online at ptv.org. You could write to us. Here's the mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as a result, our default status before God is guilty. So how can we redeem ourselves? Discover how to move from guilt to repentance. That's Tuesday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.